they're now specifically in this band of salary because they live in that specific area, right? Cost of living, you kind of know how that goes. Mm -hmm. This doesn't work for cybersecurity. It's never going to work for cybersecurity. You all are very skilled, highly sought after professionals who need to get paid a rightful range no matter where you are in the country. Welcome to the Modern Tech Leaders. I'm your host, Christian Galvin. In this episode, I had the opportunity of sitting down with Marcus Stefanide. We discuss how to stand out in a highly competitive job market, tips for hiring managers, salary for remote jobs, how companies can attract top talent, and how to build a positive online brand for tech and cybersecurity professionals. Grab your headphones and enjoy the show. I'm delighted to have a discussion with Marcus Stefanide. He brings a wealth of expertise and wisdom to the table as he has over 14 years of experience in the tech industry. He's recognized as a highly trusted individual when it comes to hiring top talent and getting the job done. He currently leads global cybersecurity talent acquisition for Converge, a leading advisor for top tier organizations. He has held positions for well-known companies such as Hello Innovation, Quicken Loans, and is the founder of HireSec. He currently serves as a member for the Automotive Cybersecurity Network and Talent Advisor for the Women's Security Alliance. In his current position, he's been exposed to working with Fortune 500 companies. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Hey, Christian. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm super excited to be here and can't wait to dive into a wealth of topics with you today. Yeah, I'm very excited as well. And you've had a very successful career. Can you please tell us where this wonderful journey all begins? Yeah, it's a crazy story. Oh, gosh, the year was like 2014. It was maybe 2013, if I'm going back far enough. Just kind of getting out of college. I actually went to college at Eastern Michigan University for broadcasting, and I thought I was going to be a sports broadcaster. And lo and behold, I am not a sports broadcaster. I got out of college, also got out of a kind of a dead-end contract job that showed me the type of years that I did not want to work for, so that was kind of eye-opening for me. About a month or two of online applications just kind of led to a dead end, right? Kind of know how that goes sometimes. And I decided to take things into my own hands, literally. I printed off 10 resumes one day and hit the road, traveled near my home and a little bit further away from my home in the metro Detroit area. And I started handing out resumes, started going into marketing firms. Hey, I'm going to be in marketing. I'm going to hand out some resumes. Or hey, maybe I'll be a recruiter. Here, check out this resume, Mr. Employer Perspective. So down to my last resume of the day, I was going to call it a day. I was leaving the last building I was in there, kind of walking down the stairway. And I walk and I see the plaque of the companies that were in that building. At the very top was the company that I had just walked out of. I handed them my resume. I was going home. Then I saw another company on that plaque. It said CBI IT Risk Management. I was like, got one resume left. All right, I'll go back up to the 10th floor of this building. I don't want to miss one of them. And I handed my resume to a front desk person and said, hey, if there's any openings, I could be a recruiter for you guys. I could be a marketing. Do, do something for you. You sound like an awesome company. And then I left and I got the call a day later. They wanted me to come in and interview for a junior recruiter position. They told me a little bit more about the company and whatnot. And I ended up landing that job a couple of weeks later. And fast forward to today, I've been in cybersecurity now for little over 10 years. It's been just a fantastic journey, really. The industry opened its arms, right? Who cares if you're a recruiter? Who cares if you're general IT? Who cares if you're 
an actual penetration test or a threat intelligence person. If you're in cybersecurity, treat people with respect, want to be in this industry, want to contribute to this, this, this field, they're going to open their arms up. So this company, CBI, Creative Breakthroughs Inc., opened their arms up to me. The hundred or so people that were there at the time opened their arms up to me. And I didn't know DLP from SIM to IDSs to IPSs, right? So all these acronyms start get thrown at me the first week or so, and it was a whirlwind. But uh, had a lot of great people around me, and we started to get to work, started to hire a lot of great people, grew the company tremendously. And I'm excited to say that a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, we were acquired by Converge Technology Solutions, where I still work today. I lead all of global talent acquisition for the cybersecurity division, and I also program manage the DOD Military Skill Bridge program, which we are proudly partnered up with for bringing in servicemen and women into the company. So that's just a little background on me. I'm super passionate about cybersecurity. I love to talk about all of the topics, and I love to be a trusted advisor and a consultant to anyone who wants to break into the field for the first time or who has been in the field for a very long time and wants to have conversations, wants to explore the market a little bit, wants to know what in the world are these recruiters looking for nowadays? What are the hiring managers doing on the back end with these interviews? How can I make myself stand out? So I'm having all sorts of different types of discussions nowadays. Wow, that, that is amazing. And there's one question that came up as you were, we don't have to dive into it too much. But you had one last resume and you decided to go back. Have you had other moments in your career like that? Because I've noticed that sometimes we're given that opportunity, that option, and we either say, oh, no, it's, it's okay, I'll come back, or you just don't jump on it. Have you had those type of moments in your life where you've just gone ahead and got it done right in that moment? I can't think of any other time except for that time, and it's changed my life. I don't know what I would be doing right now. This this industry, like I said, ha, I call it home, right? The work that I do, I call it home. It's not a job because I love working with the people that I work with and I love all the candidates that, that I work with every single day as well. So no, no other real moments like that, although that brings up an interesting theory, right? If that were to happen again in some form or facet where, hey, all right, one last thing, let me go check it out real quick. It could change your life. It completely changed my life. I love this industry uh, wholeheartedly. But yeah, it was old school, man. I printed off. It was probably 20 resumes. It was a long day. I was getting ready to, you know, it was almost 5 p.m. The CBI almost closed that, that day, their, their actual office. So I was lucky enough to think of running back up there and handing in that last printed off resume. So a lot has changed since then. You, even from the way that you were applying, what are some things that come to mind when I say, what has changed in your space since you got started to now? What are the technologies or things that you've noticed are wildly different? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say from a technological standpoint, right? So I'm in the recruiting industry. I'm in the talent acquisition industry. I'm not a staffing agent. I work in-house, right? So internally, I go out and find people that, that would like to come over and work for the cybersecurity division of Converge, where we go out and deliver services to global audience of, of larger clients. Keywords have never been more important when you are being sought out and, and found by recruiters, right? We call them Boolean searches. We use a wide variety of tools to, to go out and find our, our talent. LinkedIn is a very popular one we can delve in probably for a day and a half on the LinkedIn topic. 
But before, when I first started recruiting, I was still getting a lot of paper resumes. It was still going out to community job marketplace. It was still going out to the different conferences and getting those paper resumes. And I would still get paper resumes for a while after that. But it got pretty deep in the technological weeds over the last several years. So we'll talk more about the aspect of it as well. Another thing that has changed in terms of the way we have done interviews in the last few years is we're doing more heavy duty technical screening nowadays, right? It's not enough anymore to say, I know how to do that. Here's a quick example of what I did in my last job of how I implemented CrowdStrike Falcon or how I made it talk to the different sims or whatnot. Now we're building technical environments to you for you to go play around with some tools, show us what you know and what you don't know. Or if you're interviewing for pen testing opportunities, we have CTF environments that we spin up for you. You're going in and taking down that organization XYZ. You're getting the right type of access. You're providing us with a report due 24 hours after your CTF. So those types of technological things are changing. Don't be surprised. I mean, so many people that are, are going to watch this are going to say, yep, just went through a process with a the company. They put me through a pretty thorough CTF, a little bit more difficult than that one cert that I got in past, but it shows the company what you know and what you don't know. So keep that in mind, right? Not, it's not enough anymore just to say that you know how to do it. And of course, this goes without saying, if you don't know something, don't put it on your resume that you do know it because that'll go down go downhill pretty quick. And is that common for people to put stuff on their resumes that they might not know? Yeah, yeah. I think people who are reaching their wits end, right? Hey, it's been so many interviews or not a lot of interviews, but it's been a month since I haven't had a job or gosh forbid someone got laid off and they reached the end of the line. They're like, ah, oh, this position really asks for someone that knows Palo Alto networks or checkpoint solutions, security firewalls, whatever. And I know Fortinet, but I've never touched a checkpoint, but it's asking for it. I'm going to say that I've done that before. And you get into the interview and although the technology is technically the same, right? A firewall is a firewall. Maybe the interface is different. Maybe something that they're going to ask you specifically about that technology, you're not going to know, but you state that you knew it. That could quote unquote, potentially bury you with that company for a while, right? Because they're going to put that in the notes. They're going to talk amongst themselves and they're going to say, he put it in the resume, but the truth was he did not actually know that she did not actually know that technology. So yeah, it's, it's not super common, thankfully. I think it's more people who have been on the job market for a little longer or people that are very new to interviewing that, that make that mistake. Always be authentic, always have a trusted kind of approach to things. It's kind of, kind of how we met through the industry, right? It's, it's kind of having that approach where two people got introduced to one another, have built a good relationship, want to help the community, have that type of mentality when you're going through these interview processes. Things have changed even on how you get into the industry. I know close to a decade ago, prior to COVID, I would meet a lot of people in person. I would do a lot of my networking in person. I was working in the office when I had to do a presentation. You would whiteboard things in the office. When you had to meet with a VP or a director, it was a lot more nerve wracking. Back in the day when you're going into the office, you have everybody there and you have to give a presentation. Nowadays, when we're in Zoom, sometimes we lose that concept of, hey, I'm working with another human and let me make sure I build that trust and I build that report. So 
What do you recommend for those people that are getting into technology right now and they don't have that opportunity that we had at the time of meeting in person, building that good relationship? Where can they start? That's an excellent question. I talk on these topics for days, right? It's like, where do you start with something like that? I almost don't remember the in-office stuff pre-COVID. It's been three plus years now since it all started. I consider myself still lucky, right? My company's on the cutting edge. We're still very much remote. We're not asking people to come back into the office. Just real quick on that topic, I just read the report this morning. I think LinkedIn and another big surveying house surveyed a bunch of people and sounds like 70% of people are either back to the office or rarely working from home, I think the exact wording was. Wow, do companies right now have a golden opportunity to take the lead in the race for top talent in cyber and IT and in whatever, right? Pretty simple. Hey, we were just kidding. You can work remote again. Or hey, for the first time, you're going to be able to work remote. Or hey, super duper hybrid, come in once a month, whatever. You'd be ahead of 70% of companies right now is what the report was saying. So golden opportunity, companies hiring managers out there. If you're struggling and finding top talent in cybersecurity, which we know is still hugely difficult right now, think about that. I know not every single company can do it from a variety amount of standpoints, but if you have the possibility to do it, let them work remote. Productivity's up. Look at the reports. Back to your question, though, real quick. How do you stand out when you're not interviewing face-to-face -face with the hiring leaders, with the team, etc. Here's what stands out to recruiters, right? I'm on the front lines. I recruit and source and I dig deep and talk to, let's call it 30 to 40 unique individuals that I've never talked to every single week in cybersecurity. The people that stand out the most are the people who show poise, who show dedication to the industry. Um, I also gravitate towards, and I know a lot of other recruiters gravitate towards, people who bring that blue-collar work ethic, that grit, that I'm going to stop at nothing until I reach this point in my career, and then that'll be a level that I take up from there, right? It's that type of mentality. So if you're coming into an interview, virtual interview with a lot of energy, a lot of poise, a lot of dedication, that will to win, I think that will put you above into that next echelon of people. Is that going to be it? You're going to get the job if you show a lot of tenacity and a lot of excitement? No, it's not going to be it. But it's definitely going to open my eyes, my ears, going to get me excited to talk to you further about different opportunities, ways I can help you outside of the recruiting process, etc. So bring that. First and foremost, bring that energy. I think that'll get you a long way. Now, what I and hiring leaders normally look for really doesn't matter which role you're recruited for or you're interviewing for in cybersecurity. We tend to look for those extracurriculars, right? Things that'll make you stand out as, hey, just got out of a CTF with X company. I'm jumping into the next one. I love doing those, right? Try Hack Me and, and several other ones out there that, that you can join and, and start doing on your own or join the collegiate level ones or any of the ones through one of the various security groups. Those are exciting things to be a part of, right? If you feel like you're excited about the industry, you're going to be doing those things. So CTFs, going to the conferences, sitting into the big talks that are there by some of the security leaders that we know and trust in the industry. Another topic that we can delve into a little bit later. Things of that nature. Home lab. I talk in depth about people having their own home lab and technologies that they like to tinker with. Nothing's going to tell me more that you're dedicated to this craft in cybersecurity, your craft in IT information technology more 
than you telling me you have a home lab setup. You got various VMs and firewalls going, and you just took down the Wi-Fi in your apartment bill. I just something, <laughs> something a guy told me yesterday was hilarious. He's like, I just crashed the Wi-Fi in my entire sixteen hundred unit or hundred and sixty unit apartment building. I was like, Oh, <laughs> oh, all right. Didn't hear that. All right, go He did you know, not maliciously. He found a lot of gaps, and he got with the leadership there on the IT side of that apartment complex, and they fixed a lot of things. I was like, he blew me away. I immediately promoted him to the team. Right, you guys need to talk to this person. He's super passionate. He just did this on his own. He just raspberry pies. What he talked to me about a lot of things. Right, so home lab setups are exciting. Being part of the various community, what do you call them? Groups, right? ISAC, ISC Square, B-Side. Big one I just went to a couple months ago, Cloud Security Alliance is growing tremendously in a lot of different markets. The importance of being part of these groups, not just attending, right? Not just attending the monthly, the weekly, whatever they do, but, but raising your hand, saying something, maybe delivering a talk at one of those. Your community in New York City, in Columbus, Ohio, in Houston, Texas, in Detroit, Michigan, whatever. That's your own personal, tight-knit cybersecurity community. That's that's your platform to get your name up to a respectable level, right? Those are the people that are going to back you. Those are the people that are going to show up at your talks and support you during your webinars and help you get a job, right? CISOs talk to CISOs, directors talk to directors. I can't speak on that enough. So attend, support the community participate in the CTFs, those types of things will certainly elevate you. So we already talked about a couple things, right? We talked about the energy, the poise, the will to win, that type of mentality, bringing that into an interview, whether it's with the recruiter firsthand, hiring manager, the technical person, whoever you talk to, always bring that same type of energy. We talked about the conferences and the home labs and those extracurriculars that you could be doing. Now let's talk about the fact that remains for probably the majority of candidates that apply to any job ever. They don't meet all of the qualifications. Maybe they don't meet half of them, a quarter of them, whatever the case may be. I have I've seen and helped individuals get positions where they, they don't meet all the qualifications, but it's because they've had everything else to go with it, right? They've been a part of the community. They did everything else. They, they brought the energy, the poise. They were getting certifications, all that stuff. So what I'm getting at is there, don't be afraid to apply to positions where you don't meet every single qualification. I'm not saying to go and spray and pray your resume on every single posting. That can get you blacklisted if you apply to every single position at that company, right? Be selective. Go for what you want to be doing. Go for where you're going to be passionate and go with your best self. That's an amazing answer. We covered so many things. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to go back to the, the CTF aspect. How many candidates are doing CTFs and would you recommend it more? Yeah, so CTFs are obviously very pen tester centric, ethical hacking centric. Although I do speak to a fair share of people who are not in that field and are like, yeah, maybe I'll get to that field, but I just really enjoy doing this. So that's totally fine. Majority, right? 75% of the candidates I talk to are, are on try hack me or proving grounds or something, right? They're doing bug crowding and different things of that nature. So yeah, a lot of people are doing that. It's not enough nowadays just for me to see top 5% within the CTF or something like that. So don't think of it as automatic. They're going to love me. I've been doing this. Just continue to write, bring the rest of it, bring your whole self. 
into that interview process. But to answer your question, yeah, a lot of people are doing it. And a lot of people are getting a lot out of it, right? It just kind of leads you into the certification track a little bit. There are so many different types of certifications you can get nowadays, but it's not one size fits all, right? If you're talking general, if you're talking foundational, where I would uh, talk to people about is CompTIA, right? Start with an A+, Net+, plus, Sec+, plus, and then work your way up from there. It's a great resume builder, but let's be honest. If you have that cert or know anyone that has those certifications, people are getting a lot out of those certifications. They're getting foundational knowledge. They're getting to know the blue team side. They're getting to know so many different aspects of cybersecurity through an affordable place to go where it's world-renowned, where you know what you're going to get yourself into, great training and development through CompTIA. And then it's just can dive into so many different elements from pen testing perspective. You have some expertise in this particular area, which is really exciting. I'll turn that around to you a little bit. What are your thoughts on, on certifications when it comes to offsec pen testing? Some, some areas maybe that you've been before and you, you've liked that, and maybe some areas that you're thinking about for that next tier of your, your own training and development. So I've, experience a bit of both sides. When I was trying to get into offensive security, things were a lot different than they are now. Back then, it was you need OSCP. And if you don't have that, you're not going to be on the red team and you're not going to be able to do pen testing. Now things have shifted a lot because there's so many different CTFs, so many different courses that you could do either on TCM, you could be on the proving grounds of OFSEC, you could be finding bugs in different companies who have a bug bounty program, and you can show your skills that you're at that entry level. And when it comes to pen testing, this is a little bit different than most other cybersecurity jobs because it's in that 10% of people that are touching production systems and you can take down systems that are generating millions of dollars at a company. So I could understand why initially the thought 10 years ago was if you don't have the certification, you're not going to be able to be on the team. Things have shifted a lot now and there's mentor groups. There might be, hey, we want to bring you on board. Something that one of my previous employers did, they did a test run on hiring junior pen testers, even though they might have had seven years or eight years of cybersecurity experience. They're like, hey, we're going to make this team of three individuals where I was one of them and we're going to run many pen tests. We're going to run red team operations and purple team exercises. That allowed us to not only gain confidence build skills and work with the wider enterprise at large. And we were prepared to run and lead larger penetration tests in six months down the line, a year down the line. But definitely, I believe employers and hiring managers, they're shifting their mindset on all in or nothing. Now they're, okay, if you have some of the qualifications, if you're passionate and eager to learn, we'll take a chance on you. But it definitely does go back to what you mentioned, poise, curiosity to learn. Is this person truly passionate about it? Because everyone will tell you they want to be a hacker. Everybody wants to be a pen tester. But when they realize the amount of effort that it takes to stay up with the current trends, the new tactics and new tech, they might realize, hey, maybe it isn't for me. And, and that's totally fine. That skill set that you gain is still valuable because you do think like a hacker, you will know what to protect. You will know what's common. So things are changing a lot, I would say. I still highly regard those certifications like OSCP, OSCE. I've gone through the training and they're no joke. I mean, they're the top cybersecurity certifications for a reason. Now, let me ask you this question. 
when do certifications matter? This is a big topic where people talk about degrees, they talk about certifications and they say, hey, we don't need them. And then from my own experience, I will say, yeah, you might not need them. You might not need a degree. You might not need a certification, but that might lead to you being underpaid, not having the foundationals you need. You don't necessarily need to go get a degree from a very expensive school, but you need to gain your foundations somewhere, whether it's CompTIA certification or whether it's going through a course. So my question is not, should you get certifications, but when do they come into play for a candidate? Oh man, this hits home a little bit with me, right? I don't think you were expecting me to talk about my own potential hiring process with other companies, but you know, curiosity, right? Over the course of someone's career, they're going to interview with other companies. Maybe in popular opinion, maybe not. I don't know, but here goes nothing. So I've interviewed with the fame companies, right? The Facebooks and Amazons and Apples and not all of them, maybe a couple of them here and there over the years. What they do and the products they provide and the upper echelon of companies they are, they are all of that. They're phenomenal, right? You can ride those companies to the top forever and a day. What I have disliked about companies like that is, hey, welcome to your interview. I'm so-and-so with this company. Thanks for your interest or we found you or whatever. Where do you live? Can you confirm your zip code? Okay, cool. In the back end, they're now specifically in this band of salary because they live in that specific area, right? Cost of living, you kind of know how that goes. Mm -hmm. This doesn't work for cybersecurity. It's never going to work for cybersecurity. You all are very skilled, highly sought after professionals who need to get paid, a rightful range no matter where you are in the country. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because I actually very much disagree with the salary banding based on where you live or maybe even specific years of experience. They'll look at that. Some companies will look at that. Oh man, he's definitely worth the hundred, but he only has four years. If he had that extra year, maybe we'd give him a hundred. We're going to offer him 80. Some companies will do that. It's complete crap. And you'll kind of sniff that out through your interview process. That's another thing, right? Hopefully candidates aren't desperate when they're going out and interviewing. If you are, maybe you're willing to take whatever, and that is what it is, and it's an unfortunate circumstance. But top-tier cybersecurity professionals can be selective, are selective, rightfully so. Make sure that you're interviewing that company just as much as they're interviewing you. Holy cow, maybe even more so, right? This is a very big opportunity for you to learn who you're going to work for, what's their next 30, 60, 90 look like, what's their programs in place, how are you going to be able to impact their world and significantly move the needle on their cybersecurity posture. And if you're not getting a clear view of that, or if you're getting some kind of weird vibe from their leadership and you're a top tier person, you might want to keep interviewing, right? You don't want to make the wrong move there. Went down a a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but sometimes that happens. I'm not sure if I tackled the, the question specifically, but that's just some of my thoughts on Oh, sorry. You asked about <laughs> you asked about certifications and, and college degrees and whatnot. Here's another potentially unpopular opinion. College degrees, since I started recruiting almost a decade ago in cybersecurity to now, have never meant less. Okay, good. I didn't get didn't get struck by anything. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It comes and goes, my feelings on it. It's very important. College is important. I went to college and I got a lot out of it. You went to college, you're, gosh, you're in an awesome program right now with Princeton or Brown. If I remember correctly, you're telling me about your background. It's, it's important. Maybe more important for those 
directorships, senior managerial, CISO type opportunities where you've got a master's in there as well. Maybe you got your PhD. I mean, you're high level individual when it comes to the academic side of cybersecurity or academic side of business. Pen testing, threat hunting, cybersecurity engineering and architecture, whatever the case may be. Dare I say, certs might be more important at this stage in the game. Just just how the industry has been shifting a little bit. I'm not just I'm not saying forever it's gonna be like this or mm -hmm. it will specifically turn this way now, but hiring leaders are getting excited about your OSCP. TCM, we talked a little bit about TCM. Heath Adams and group is doing a phenomenal job with their, their certification program, their, their training programs and all that stuff, right? We're seeing this on the resume and these acronyms, because you've worked so hard to earn these type of certifications are popping up to recruiters eyeballs. By the way, I don't know if a lot of people surely don't know this. I didn't really even realize this until I learned about it a couple of years ago. It takes recruiters on average six to seven seconds after looking at a resume to say yes or no, sometimes shorter. If, if depending on the type of day I'm having, I got a very short attention span. It could be, it'd take me five, five seconds to look at it and say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and screen this person or no, just doesn't look like a good fit or something like that. Let's touch on that on the resume I, aspect. Cause I know we did have a question from James Rivera on the post that you had about resume format and keywords. Can we dive a little bit more into that? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? What's the resume look like? Cause we're not, you know, bad people on the recruiting front by any means, but if it's a bad looking resume or the keywords just aren't popping or you've formatted it in a way where I can barely see what you wrote or it's a bunch of different colors, I could turn someone off from a resume. If it's going to turn the recruiter off, it will potentially for sure turn the hiring leader off. That's maybe why we don't promote those people right away when you see them. So formatting on your resume is obviously important. I am a person that likes to see keywords up towards the top certifications up towards the top, different products that you have experience with, right? CrowdStrike Falcon Engineer or Checkpoint or Palo or Forcepoint or Zscale or whatever the case may be, right? Most relevant stuff towards the top. And then after that, of course, the experience, right? Clean though, right? The company, how long you were there, your title, few bullet points. Don't give me 30 bullet points on <laughs> one job. That's a lot, right? You can condense that. So clean it up tighten it up. There's been some false spread of make sure it's only one page, make sure it's only two page. I personally would draw the line at three. If it's more than three for any position, I probably won't get through the whole thing. Remember, right? Short attention span recruiters like to see the keywords, make it tight and concise. You can have a mission statement, right? An objective at up top, that's fine. But in that first half of the page, Hit me with your certs, hit me maybe with some of your extracurriculars too, right? If it's a more junior position, you're trying to show that involvement in the community, those types of things will pop. So basically what I'm saying is make it pop, but don't make it pop with a hundred different colors, right? Make it pop with your experiences and the things you've done and, and where you're headed. Oh, that's amazing. We could definitely talk about that a lot because that has changed from submitting your resume is it more likely for someone to get hired if they're being sought out by the recruiter versus a, a person applying to to the HR system? Well, that's a great point. I think we, we talked about this a few days ago when we were discussing maybe some pertinent topics that people would want to hear about. And I think we already covered a lot of good ones, by the way. I normally 
will source 90% of the people that I hire. That's kind of been, it's, it's been high, right? 80 to 90% of the people that I've brought into the company, introduced to the right people, got them on board. I'll go out and find them myself and I'll source through LinkedIn, variety of other tools. I'll go to the conferences, whatever the case may be. It's passive talent. Cybersecurity is filled with passive talent, as you know, but you should still want to be sought, right? There's always that draw there. Like it's cool sometimes to get that recruiter notification. Like, Hey, saw your background. You look fantastic for this one job. Likely not going to be the job for you, right? But that one time could make the difference. So make sure your LinkedIn's up to date. Make sure your resume is always updated. It's important to update your resume, not just for the potential recruiter or applying to a position, but it keeps a tally in your head and now on paper of, I just made this major accomplishment. It's fresh in my head. I'm going to document this, right? I'm going to put the bullet points that I just accomplished at this company. So keep that in mind as well when you're updating. Don't just update it to keep it updated in case you get a new job because you, you like where you're at. Just keep it updated for your own personal memory and keeping it as fresh as possible. From a online presence perspective, it's important to get involved in the community. As we talked about before, right, with the different community groups and whatnot, almost as important, if not more important, to get involved online. LinkedIn is, we always talk about LinkedIn as a very, very popular platform, professional network. Your colleagues are always on there talking about their accomplishments or spreading the new threat intelligence report, or maybe they just did a blog, or maybe they're doing a new podcast. Support the cybersecurity community through your commenting, through your resharing, through your own thoughts of that topic that was just shared. That'll make you more noticeable to the recruiters. I was going to talk about a couple of specific examples of where I pulled people directly from them commenting on someone else's posts brought them into process for positions with us and they were hired, but I'd rather not go too specific in detail and point out, you know, you'd probably figure out who those people were. So I'm not going to get too into the weeds there, but I, and I know several other colleagues of mine in the cybersecurity recruiting field will look for people, not just through, Hey, make sure this person has CrowdStrike or they have their OSCP or they're a director of this. And, and then we'll click the search button, but I'll scour the feeds. Hey, this person's really showing some love to the industry right now. He reshared this person. He liked that. He cheered on this person. He congratulated his former boss for getting the new CISO position that they got. And then they made their own blog about their thoughts on the threat intel landscape and where it's headed. Wow. I wasn't looking for that person, but maybe I was looking for that person, a recruiter might think, right? And they'll dig into your LinkedIn profile. And that's why it's important to keep your LinkedIn profile up to date because you never know who's going to look at it that day and it could be life-changing it, it really could so i don't know if i jumped around a little bit too much there but it got me thinking right it got me into the feeling of wow i know some people that do care about this community that just continue to shine online and build their own career brand and support the community and those are the people that i want to be in touch with whether i have a job for you or not i want to get to know you a little bit yeah, and I guess a natural progression would be to talk about career branding. And I want to get your perspectives, but I'll add my comment as well. I was recently talking to a colleague. She's in my master's program and she was asking, hey, I see that you're very active in your community and I like what you're doing. I don't know how to get started. I'm not very good at self-promoting. And my comment to her was, hey, it's all about the intent. The best way to go about it is let me make this blog. Let me make this post. Let me share this 
with the intent of helping others or in a way that it's usable for someone else who may be able to use this, learn, and you know, either you make their day better or you give them access to a tool that they didn't know existed. And with that perspective, it makes the sharing a lot less burdensome and a lot less like, oh, I don't want to just be posting and sharing. Because I'm sure you've seen both types of people on LinkedIn. Like you see X individual and you're like, wow, that, that is really cool, really cool report or that's very useful. And you see this other post and you're just kind of like, I don't know if I really wanted to see that. So what are your comments for someone who's looking to start branding themselves? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And thank you for piggybacking off what I said, right? Because there's always two sides of it. There is the, I really care about the community. I'm going to share stuff and like stuff and post my own stuff for the betterment of cybersecurity and helping people out. And then there's the, I'm going to just overshare and overdo it and not care about my grammaticals or what exactly I'm sharing or the picture I'm attaching to it, things of that nature. Yeah. So be careful. Be careful when you do things like that. Since COVID started, there's been this birth of influencers, right? I mean, it was pretty big even pre-COVID, but since COVID, holy cow, I can't keep up with all of the people that want to share all of the things and they have a firm belief and it's totally fine. What they have to say is going to impact the masses and it is positive for everyone. And unfortunately, some people do try to put their own agenda into it as they reach a certain level of influence, right? They start putting a lot of stuff that they think and maybe they only think and they want you to think. So be careful with that as well. But building your online really encompasses all the things that we've talked about almost throughout this entire thing, right? You, you care about it, so you're building your brand because you want to eventually save a company from its potential cyber demise, or you want to make people aware or warn people of things, bugs that you found or something like that. So once you start sharing these things, you are building a brand and you want to make sure you're building the accurate representation of you first and foremost. And you want to make sure that what you're posting out there or what you're resharing out there that you've done a little research on, and it is true in fact, or if it's an opinion, you state that specifically in there. It's, it's, it is part of building your persona online. And as we know, online is forever. So you really got to be careful with that. Delving real quick into your LinkedIn profile, right? Goes without saying, right? Presentable, maybe in action, picture of yourself as your profile. What has become important for recruiters now, because it's actually the first thing that we see when we're looking at someone's brand, right, their LinkedIn profile online, is the tagline. And you can put quite a bit of writing in there. And I'm actually one that says it's okay to put a lot of things in that tagline, right? Penetration tester slash or else you do red teamer talks about infosec, cybersecurity, a lot of different things because it adds to your keyword searches. So makes you a little bit easier to find, but it does give you the opportunity to have a little blurb about yourself on there. And it kind of rises to the top with some recruiters where you're able to see that right away and tell right away if you're going to want to talk to that person or not, or source that person. A lot of people still don't know this, and maybe it's, you know, the platform not doing a great job of marketing this aspect, but... If you are out there looking for a new role, whether it's confidentially or, hey, I'm out there open to work, obviously we see the big green open the work thing around the, the profile picture, but you can also select confidentially and those, those LinkedIn profiles for sure populate to the top of the LinkedIn recruiter profile that I use to go out and find you. So if you're confidentially looking, there's quite a bit of information you can fill out there that'll tell me, okay, this person's 
more likely going to reply to my message. I'm going to reach out to them first. They're open to work, but confidentially. And then we can kind of get the conversation rolling in that manner. Wow, that's amazing. And what about the the bio on the LinkedIn page? How much does that matter? Are you guys reading that? Is it is that important? Yeah, I am a firm believer of if it's closer to the top, I have to do less scrolling and less finding. So that's a prime real estate, right, for you to be putting in more about yourself, right? It's okay to start from the beginning. My InfoSec journey started when I walked up with my resume and, and gave it to them 10 years ago, whatever. I, I like stories. That's actually why I'm in this field. It's the unique conversations that I get to have every single day with people. I, I want to hear your story. I'm completely, completely enamored and excited to hear your rendition of why you're in information security and, and, and what got you there, right? And it's, it's usually filled with riveting information. So yeah, prime real estate in the bio section to write a couple paragraphs, maybe even three paragraphs about yourself. Don't take it as a good novel piece there to go on with a book of your information. That's also a place that I like to see some of your product knowledge. If you're going for those positions, some of your certifications, some of your quick hit accomplishments, right? If you don't want to go too deep into the individual positions, you can put it there in the bio. Five major accomplishments that I've had in my career. Here they are right at the top, Mr. Recruiter, right? Because we know you have a short attention span. So yeah, that's, that's a great point. The bio is a good place. You can get creative in that bio, totally fine. It's just a kind of a small topic. It's totally fine if you don't want to be recruited ever, or if you don't want to be part of the positive side of the community ever. You just want to do your thing in cybersecurity in that corner forever and, and you're happy with that. Of course, totally fine, no problem. I come across those profiles that are very shut off in what they say in their bio to recruiters, to other hiring leaders, to maybe even the community on some aspects. Keep in mind though, if you go down that path and go down that track, it's very hard to come back from that. People will remember that, right? It's your brand. It's your identity. It's your LinkedIn profile. It's could be another profile, social media, whatever. It's hard to come back from that. So if you want to get, if you get a little too dark and too standoffish and too whatever, and then you do somehow, hopefully not, but maybe sometime you might need a new job or you might need some help from the community, some guidance, some mentorship. Someone might've saw that. Someone might've screenshotted that. Someone might've remembered you. Someone might've put a note in there recruiter sheet for you or something like that. So keep those things in mind as well. Yeah, and, and talking about cybersecurity, not only from a technology perspective, but also the people perspective, I have unfortunately seen people like that who have, I don't want to say ruined, but have left companies on very bad terms. And then when they're asking for help on LinkedIn, People already know that that individual might not have the best work ethic or they're not trustworthy. And to your point, it's very key on building those relationships. What are some green flags for candidates when you're looking to hire them? I know we can talk about red flags. And what are some green flags that would make you say, hey, I think this would be a candidate that I would either like to bring on board or suggest for another for another company? I know we talked about the extracurriculars, but are there any other personal things that you look for when, when hiring these individuals? Because cybersecurity does require a lot of trust for the role that they will be having at this organization. That's a good question. 
it has to do with a lot of what we already talked about. It, aside from those things, right, those things are probably at the forefront, the community involvement, the caring about one another, the mentoring, the training. This would probably come more in like an official discussion. I wouldn't be able to tell it right off the bat when I talk to you or when I'm looking at your profile or something, but having a consultative ability, way with words, a way to describe certain things when you're talking to someone, having that trusted advisor approach where you want to be impactful and you take very strategic steps to accomplish a goal or a project. Those things are now paramount in the recruiting sphere, in what hiring leaders are looking for. And in some cases, if I may go back to the college degree talk that we had a little bit ago, sometimes that consultative ability, trusted advisor approach, that type of stuff will take precedence over a degree nowadays because it's so important how you communicate, when you choose to communicate, the steps you take to help an organization get to a certain level of cyber, certain cybersecurity posture, things of that nature. So that's really what I meant when I was talking a little bit more about the degree side is if you bring that type of mentality and that approach, sometimes that will stand out a little bit more than the bachelor's degree that you earned. I'm sure you got a great education and, and if it was an IAIS program, definitely a great add-on to your experience level. But if you don't bring the consultative ability, the trusted advisor approach, you might slip behind the person, let's be honest, who may not have the degree, but is bringing all of that poise, all of that energy, all those characteristics that a hiring leader is looking for, they're going to step up. You know, Christian, I'll be honest with you, man. I've never in my career interviewed so many high school students for pen testing roles, for threat hunting opportunities, for security analyst opportunities, SOC analyst opportunities that I am right now. And I, again, I'm not the one giving them this advice. They are pledging and saying, I have a lot of self-taught abilities. I follow the right influencers. I watch the YouTubes. I have the home lab. I just passed my OSCP and I'm 16, 17. I'm like, wow. Wow. Literally, not even joking right now. I'm so happy that our hiring leaders are aware. And when they become of the age to come in full-time employment, we're not going to stop them. We're gonna, not going to stand their way. We're going to bring them in at, a, at an analyst level, right? They don't have the professional experience just yet. They're going to get it with us for sure. But they have that drive and that poise. They got a super high level cert that not a lot of people can get. Let's be honest. Could be the OSCP or any of the other ones. Let's be honest. If you're that age getting certs, that's phenomenal. And we're bringing them in. And then down the line, they, you know, some of them will say, I, I'm putting college off for now. I'm not saying no to college forever, but I, I want to join the workforce. I want to be impactful and I, I want to do it professionally because I'm so passionate about it. So it's a different day and age. It's a different day and age for sure. Yeah. And if I may add a comment there, that's how I started. I was actually 20 when I started in security and things are a lot more pro on that sense. I'm like, hey, if the person has the skills and I can see, I mean, when I started, I didn't have all the foundations of how cybersecurity plays into the larger enterprise, how to do a business impact analysis, but I had the Python, the Linux, the Windows skills, and I had the home setup. And those are the things that really matter for entry level roles. And things do change as time go on. But I think that's very good for hiring managers, being open to different candidates from different backgrounds with different skills, because you want the person that's curious and passionate about the work that you're going to be giving them. Couldn't agree with you more there. It's a great, great segue into what, what are hiring leaders do, doing right now to differentiate themselves in this 
crazy war on talent we're having in cybersecurity specifically. I forget the firm out in California that always comes out with the new jobs report or how much breaches cost this year. Cybersecurity Ventures out of, out of California, they're, they're a phenomenal company to follow on statistics and, and job markets and things like that in cyber. Yeah, it's going to become it's super hard now. It has been for the last many, many years since I've gotten into cyber recruiting and it's going to get even worse. So what are you doing now as a hiring leader, as a company to displace some of that difficulty and, and not going to make it easier, but at least stand out in a different way? I gave a prime example earlier. Remote work is going to be king. If you have that benefit to offer and you're not offering it yet, you will take the lead in front of so many companies, right? 70% right now of companies are either back to the office or their employees are saying they're rarely getting to work from home. So keep that in mind. A couple of other things, we just touched on it, right? Be open to different types of candidates from different types of backgrounds. Maybe they don't even come from IT, but they have that desire and poise. And perhaps you have a bigger junior level headcount pool than the more senior people that you can bring in, things of that nature. I'm trying to rally my brain a little bit. I guess give, give me a, one or two more thoughts from your perspective, because you've been in that seat before where you've conducted the interviews. Maybe you've made some hiring decisions. What are your thoughts on, on ways that companies can differentiate themselves a little bit? Definitely has to do a lot with the leader too. So I'll speak about my own experience because there's different people. So I, I would say the hiring manager, when the hiring manager is learning and they're staying curious and they're staying up to date with the latest trends and they understand the complexities that come with the business and they can remove those roadblocks, that's what's attractive to a person that's looking to get a job. If they see that their manager is getting these certifications, that they're either speaking at conferences or they're providing some sort of value to the community. I've had managers like that in the past and that's what has inspired me to pursue that out of the joy of learning and being curious. I've had managers who they didn't have a college degree, but they had 10 CVEs and they had the OSCP and OSCE and they had a amazing background and they're the ones that inspired me. So, I mean, be that hiring manager that you once wanted when you were getting started in the field. And don't forget about that, like not getting complacent because it's very easy to get complacent in security. You get a job, you know how to do some things and then you see new technologies coming out and you're like, ah, oh, I don't want to get involved in the hype. Before you know it, you've missed like 20 crazy things that could have helped your day to day. So from a hiring manager perspective, the key things that I would look for are curiosity. What are areas in your life where you've come adversity? It doesn't have to be technology. We all go through adversity and it's all about that mindset because in our field of technology, let's face it, you're trying to download a program, you'll get like five errors because you have the firewall preventing it, or you don't have a certain software dependency, or you didn't read the instructions. So it's a constant, you have to be persistent and you have to be used to seeing a lot of adversity. So once once you've overcome that and, you, and you, you're like, okay, I like overcoming things. I like being curious and learning that that's, what's going to make you not only be a successful hiring manager, but also a successful employee. So those are the things that I look for in leaders, the being honest, authentic, and, and seeing them that they are still growing as a leader. Yeah. 100%. And I'd love to hear your rendition of that. Cause again, you've, you've sat in that seat before and you've, 
reviewed resumes and you've hired people and you know it's not it's not an easy task that's for sure again i just feel uh, feel like i'm in a good position where i am able to promote good quality candidates from all walks of life from all walks of experiences they come through to me as having that potential x factor and that's what companies need right now candidates and people who have that x factor do they have every single bullet that you listed in that job description likely not are you taking the time to get to know them a little bit? Could they potentially get there? Plus they have that X factor because you're not company XYZ. You're not hiring that high school person with the OSCP, but we are right. So there's that company that is taking that proactive step is training and developing the people right away who bring that 50% and the company brings the other 50% and they make the whole, the whole picture come to fruition. So I have a question regarding on that topic. Are there any new trends that you're seeing in specific skills or frameworks or areas that employees are starting to focus on more in 2023 than they were before? That employees or employers? Employers. Employers. Basically, again, a couple of topics that we already talked about. I am seeing a reduction of must have this college degree or exactly this bachelor's, master's, whatever the case may be. I'm seeing that or equivalent work experience. There's been an abundance of that change. For consulting companies, services companies, I'm seeing that come down and what's coming up ahead of that is the certification attributes like, hey, must have this cert or these couple of certs to qualify for the role. That way we know you're at a certain level, right? Because we know what it takes to get those types of certifications. So those are some of the changes. And then another one that we already talked about, right? We'll list that right in the job description. Must be very outgoing, consultative, high energy, trusted advisor approach. It's becoming important across the board for a lot of cyber positions right now. Perfect. And as far as like cloud or Kubernetes or APIs, are there any trends similar to that that you're seeing a lot more or is more focused on the willingness to learn? Yeah, there are still an abundance of those positions that unfortunately remain more open than others that'll close that have been around for a lot longer, right? Kubernetes and cloud and APIs and different things like that, much shorter time span where people would be able to get that type of experience. And the reason why these positions have stayed open longer is because the requirements aren't changing. So where requirements are changing is where we've been there, done that, and we know it can take a variety of different people to accomplish that goal, accomplish that position, where we're not exactly sure if we can take on just any old body is in the areas that you said. So you'll probably find those positions open longer than, than others. I think the trend will probably change there soon and there'll be other prerequisites that'll be added on there and, 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 and we'll get those figured out. An interesting thing that's happening there is the company can't not do that cloud security project. They can't not have a Kubernetes security expert in-house or whatever. So what are they going to do? They're not just going to sit on that job forever. They're going to go out and call their trusted advisor consulting firm or services company. Those companies may come in with their staff fog or their strategic residencies or what have you, and they'll bring that expertise. And maybe that's a time where those consultancies, those trusted advisors can start training up some of the people internally at the, the enterprise that has this type of need. That's potentially an idea there, right? Perfect. And I do have, I have a question for those who, of our listeners who are mid-career and they're looking to go towards either VP, CISO, directorship. What recommendations do you have for them going either from individual contributor or a managerial role? What are some things that they need to consider to make that leap 
because that's definitely even a more rigorous process than let's say breaking into the industry or going to senior roles. Yeah, I'll keep this one short. I mean, I know a lot of CISOs. I call a lot of CISOs my friends. I'm on a texting basis with, with several large enterprise ones that have helped me in my career and I've helped them in their career. And I have, I'm glad you asked this question. I have a direct view in, into this sphere. It's kind of interesting. It's who you know, right? When you get to that level, it's really who you know. Not every single time, but gosh darn it, it's a big percentage of the time. CISOs talk to CISOs. It's likely not even the decision of the HR team to build the right job description or have them in the right band or whatever the case may be. It's that CISO, that enterprise or mid-level or whatever coming into play. And it's that that's the fit. That's maybe the only chance you're going to get to land someone like that. And they were brought in from an industry referral, right? Hey, you have this vacancy. I got a guy. This has been, this was my deputy for the last 10 years at this company. He's going to bring the right experience and you're going to make that move and you're going to bring that person on board. What I'm getting at is CISOs will look at the vacancies. They're plugged into the right communities and they're going to make those recommendations and companies should listen when existing CISOs are making those types of recommendations. So I see it every single day. It's difficult to land those positions, but if you know people that will vouch for you, who maybe have mentored you in the past, who have pointed you into the right direction, who are part of your community involvement. If you got those people in your corner, you're probably in a good position where you're going to keep climbing and you're going to be referred into that right position that you want to get into eventually. Yeah, that was an amazing response. It's also very important because it goes back to building those relationships and security. It's a very small field. It feels like it's so vast and large because there's just a lot of information to learn, lots of certifications. But when it comes to the people perspective, it's a lot smaller, like DEF CON. There's probably like 15,000 hackers that go there. And you think about it, this is a global conference where people travel around the world. Word gets around pretty fast, even on tech Twitter, LinkedIn. Reputation, my friend. It's all about your reputation. I mean, for a lot of industries, let's be honest, but we're in deep in cybersecurity and we know typically who the good people are, who you want to associate yourself with, who you want to learn from, who you want to follow on Twitter and Reddit and all these things. And those people vouching for you. This Real quick, back to LinkedIn, ask for recommendations, depending on the role, right? If it's not a crazy role where I have a bunch of candidates and I'm digging a little bit deeper on people, I'll scroll all the way down to the recommendations. Has anyone ever vouched for this person before? You'll probably be able to submit referrals afterwards, but if it's right there at my fingertips on your LinkedIn profile and you have 10, 20, 30 recommendations from people high up or maybe even your peers, that's totally fine. People at your level, maybe even a little bit below that are vouching for your character, for the type of person that you are, that you took the time to mentor them or whatever the case may be. Don't be shy in building that that LinkedIn profile up, up, up as much as you can because recruiters, hiring managers love having that stuff at the fingertip versus, yeah, we'll wait till the end of the process, I guess, to get his name of the three referrals that he's going to give us for sure because he knows those people will talk nice about them. Well, I have it at my fingertips. These 20 people talk nice about you. That's pretty convenient. Wow, that's amazing and very important to know because... Even if someone's a junior or mid, mid-career, they're not thinking about those things. Sometimes they may be caught up in the interview process and presenting their, their, their best self. And it's a, it's a process. A quote that 
I've been sticking to lately has been beware of unearned wisdom. And in cybersecurity, that, that, that plays a pretty big role even in tech. I agree with you more, 100%. Marcus, it has been amazing having you on the show today. What is the best way someone can reach out to you and connect with you? Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure myself. Thank you so much for having me join. You've done such an amazing job with this in a very short amount of time and just, again, happy to have been part of this show. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Recruiters, talent acquisition leaders, etc., typically live on LinkedIn. So do, so do a lot of us. I mean, cybersecurity professionals are very, very active on LinkedIn. Happy to see a good platform for that. So LinkedIn, yeah, Marcus, Steph, and I, you'll, you'll find me out there. I should, should be the only Marcus, Steph, and I uh, on LinkedIn to my knowledge and happy to connect. What I do outside of my normal day-to-day that I'm passionate about is I work with a lot of cybersecurity adjunct and full-time professors at various universities across the country. So they'll have me come in and do, you know, short speaking engagement on career pathing and different things to do with your resume and LinkedIn and such from the talent acquisition perspective. So opportunities like that, I'm happy to help with. If, if you're a professor and need someone to come in and talk about cyber careers and whatnot, do resume building workshops as well. I've done some CISO panels from the recruiting perspective. Those are always fun. I've just been getting into webinars recently as well. So anywhere where I can get involved in an impact, even if it's one person, I'm happy to do that. Just like you, Christian, with this podcast, if it's even if it's just one person, making that impact is, is huge. So lean on me for anything like that. I'm happy to connect or end up connecting you to the, the right company, the right person. Always happy to do that as well. Perfect. Yeah, and I'm very excited to publish this episode because I have college either interns or people who are getting started with their career. And a lot of the topics that they've asked, they've either DM me or they're asking me, hey, Christian, what do you suggest on this? And having you join the podcast and go through the raw information and just how how important it is to build a brand and all the characteristics that you look for, this is going to be immensely helpful. And even when you ask the question to the network, sometimes people are not inclined to saying like, hey, yeah, I want to know about this because it might tip off their current employer. I definitely know there's going to be a lot of listeners who are going to find everything you shared very useful and I can't wait to share with them. Yeah, absolutely. To that topic real quick, any, anything that I ever talk to anyone about is always super confidential. And you're right. Trust and, and branding and, and respect and just being part of this community is key. So again, can't thank you enough for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Marcus. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social media platforms such as Twitter and LinkedIn as it may help someone else in their professional career. Additionally, Follow me on my YouTube channel at Christian Galvin underscore. Stay tuned for the next episode.